All right. Uh, let me uh, invite you to turn to Ephesians chapter 4 uh, this morning with me. Ephesians chapter 4. Now, uh, even though we're looking at Ephesians uh, on Wednesday night, that simple gospel here in the auditorium at 6.30 uh, p.m., hashtag shameless plug, um, we're going to be talking about, we've been talking about spiritual gifts over the last couple of weeks, and so we're going to continue to do so uh, today in chapter 4 of Ephesians. And uh, I have to say that as I was going through these uh, verses, um, this more than just a couple of verses, actually 16 of them, though we're not necessarily going to get into all 16 of those, so relax. We'll get you out of here by quarter to three. Um, uh, but, you know, if, if you've been here, again, on Wednesday nights at Simple Gospel at 6.30 here in the auditorium, uh, another plug there, you should be writing that down. Uh, we've been going through uh, the book of Ephesians, and we're understanding that Really, you can divide the book of Ephesians in a number of different ways. Watchman Nee divided it like in the sections of sit, or we're seated in Christ, we're walking in Christ, we're standing in Christ. And you can kind of break that down. You can reduce it down even more and basically say the book of Ephesians is broken down into two sections. Chapters 1 to 3 is the worth of the believer. As he goes in there talking about uh, what Christ has done, how he's called us, how he saved us. He's removed us from darkness. He's moved us into light. And then you get into chapters 4, 5, and 6, and we can see the walk of the believer. And it's kind of obvious when you look at verse number 1 of chapter number 4 uh, because he says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling which you have been called. So that's where we get that from. And the rest of this book uh, deals actually with the behavior of the believer. Um, we don't have to be scared of that, you know, because when we're dealing with a God of grace and we're dealing with a God that empowers us, the way that we walk is not something that God uses to beat us over the head with to get us to behave. That's why for the first three chapters, he tells you what you're worth the whole time. And then he says, as a result of that, this is how things look. And he goes into how we behave and how we walk uh, and how we live. Now, he gets right into something very interesting here in chapter number four, something that you cannot separate the more that I'm beginning to look at spiritual gifts. And it's these two things, or three things, really, I should say. You have spiritual gifts, you have unity, and you have maturity. These three things all go together anytime the Bible talks about spiritual gifts. Over in 1 Corinthians, again in Romans chapter number 13 that we looked at two weeks ago, and right now in Ephesians chapter number 4, you can't escape unity, maturity, and spiritual gifts. They all go together. And so what Paul is going to be doing here is he's writing to these believers after he tells them what they're worth in Christ and what it is that Christ has done for them uh, through the gospel. He's going to say, listen, now because of this and because you've been called, your walk should be influenced by who you are. You see, legalism turns that around. Legalism says your walk defines who you are. Grace says, uh, grace says your walk is a result of who you are. Uh, see, we get that. But that's why it's so we get kind of skittish. Like, I remember when I started moving out of legalistic uh, type of situations, people would start talking about behaviors and the way that we walk as believers. And I you know I got like PTSD or something like that. And I started twitching and things like that because it had been driven down my throat for years that what I did was who I am. And so I was constantly trying to adjust what I did so I would feel better about who I am. And let's just be honest, we still all deal with that in one way or the other, whether it's expectations we put on ourselves or expectations somebody else has put on us or the residualness of, uh, of legalism that's still in our lives. We still fight that in our heads every now and again. 
If we didn't, I know I, know I do, and I'm not going to get into an open confession here. Angela can tell you all about it later, but I know that I struggle with it. And as we move into this chapter, what he's going to do is, is he's going to address unity in light of the spiritual gifts. Now you say, well, buddy, we've already talked about that. I know we have, but we haven't talked about it in light of this context, so hang in there with me, okay? I'm going to read, I want to read all these verses and then back up and get into it because here's the safe, this is why I like to read a lot of verses when I speak. If the rest of the sermon goes south, at least you got 16 Bible verses read to you at the end of the day. You know, I mean, at least we can walk away saying, I went to church and I actually heard the Bible, so we're going to do that. All right, so Ephesians chapter 4, verse number 1, Paul says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There's one body and one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all, and in, and here is the proof that Paul was from the south, and he's in you all, all right? Verse 7, he says, But to each of us grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, now he's about to quote something out of the Old Testament to point back to the New Testament gifts, all right? He says, When he ascended on high, he led captivity captive, and he gave gifts to men. Now this, that he ascended... What does it mean but that he first also descended to the lower parts of the earth? And I know right now what you're thinking, uh, and the answer is no, that's not what happened. All right? <laughs> now, when we read that verse, we think to ourselves, well, does that mean that Jesus went and suffered it? No, he did not suffer in hell. That's not what the New Testament teaches us at all. I always say that when I cross that verse because that's the first thing that tends to come to people's minds. Now you're going to be distracted the rest of the message thinking about that. So... In verse number, uh, verse number uh, 10, he says, He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he himself gave some to be apostles, and some prophets, and some evangelists, and some pastors, teachers, pastors and teachers, or your Bible might say shepherds and teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of a knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Now, that was a mouthful of words right there, wasn't it? That we should no longer, and get this, this is what these gifts he just read off, apostle, prophet, pastor, teacher, these gifts, what do they do? That, we, that in verse number 14, that we should no longer be children, tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, which is Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knitted together by whatever the joint supplieth according to the effect of working by which every part does its share and causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love." And you take a breath. You say, wow, that's a lot of stuff. Paul was great as writing really long sentences. Um, and so when we look at this, two things stick out to me when I read these, this portion of Scripture. is the fact that Paul promotes unity, he promotes spiritual gifts, and he promotes spiritual maturity. Those are the three things that I see here. We see the unity aspect of it from verses number 1 down to verse uh, number uh, 6. Then we see the whole idea of the gifting in verses number 7 down through verse number 11. Then we get over into verses number 
uh, 12 down through verse number 16, and we see the growth or the maturity of the believer as a result of the unity, the spiritual gifts, uh, and, as a res- and as a result, maturity. Now, when we get into this, we're going to start off in this idea of unity. And I love what I heard one country pre- uh, preacher say when it comes to unity, the difference between unity and togetherness. He said, if you want to know the difference between being unified and being together, just take two cats, tie their tails together, and throw them over a clothesline. And what you're going to see is togetherness is not the same thing as unity. You're going to learn real quick. And so when we talk, just because we assemble in one place and we're together doesn't always necessarily mean that we are unified. And so Paul goes out of his way to tell us what the unity of interacting with others is like, how these gifts promote unity, and how unity in turn brings us together to minister to one another. That's what's going on here uh, in these verses of Scripture. So this morning, I want us to see that every spiritual gift promotes unity and maturity. Now, isn't it ironic that Paul has to constantly bring this up in this context? Because you know why? Often they're used to promote the exact opposite things if the environment is not healthy. And so Paul over and over again brings it. It's like, you know, when God says something once, it's important. We don't have to hear it twice, really. We say that to our kids. I've already told you once. That was my dad's line. One time after that, the executioner hood went on. The double-edged axe came out, and everything was over. Actually, his axe was this 36-inch leather belt that he could use like Indiana Jones. That thing had like a mind of its own. So if God says something once, it's important. And uh, he said it over in 1 Corinthians. We got over to Romans. He says it again, all right? Then we get over to Ephesians. He says it a third time, pointing out the importance of this situation when it comes to unity, spiritual gifts, and spiritual growth. So I'm going to do my best this morning uh, to show that God has gifted the church with those who can effectively instruct and lead the body into a place of stability, maturity, with the preaching and the teaching of the Word of God. Because these gifts that we're going to be talking about in verse number 11 this morning, the apostle, the prophet, the pastor, teacher, all these are what I call, and this is just something that I use. I don't know if it may not even be right, so I'm just telling you that I say it. These are instructive gifts to me, where you have a lot of these other gifts where they're interactive with one another. These are more instructive type gifts. You have an apostle, a prophet, and they're speaking in many situations. Uh, an apostle would go back and we look at the apostle Paul, for example, and he's writing to these churches, uh, advising them on how they're to operate. And we're going to get into that a little bit more. I don't want to get ahead of myself. But I want to talk about in verses 1 through 3, the first thing I want us to look at, the, is, at this when it comes to unity, and we're going to work our way down. The first thing is this. I want us to see the graces of unity. What does unity look like? How does it happen between two uh, people? In verse number 2, when he talks about this being walking according to how we're called, in verse 2 he says, With all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another. Now I'm going to go ahead and go on the record and say I am terrible at that. All right, I am not good at it. Uh, there's not a whole lot of patience uh, within Buddy McNaughton if he's got to sit there and say, You know what, I'm just going to add patience to my list of virtues that I'm going to work on this week. You've done that before, haven't you? You know, it's like when you read the, the, the list of the fruit of the Spirit, you're like, all right, here we go. The fruit of the Spirit is love. I'm going to work on love. Well, you'll never get past that one, all right? You're just going to get stuck right there, all right? Uh, but all the rest of them, this isn't a list of things to work on necessarily is what Paul's saying. These are things that are flowing out of our relationship with Christ. So it's not like God is saying, listen, guys, I want you to go home and I want you to write down long-suffering. I want you to write down gentleness and humility 
And I just want you to just consciously work on those. Have you ever noticed when you consciously work on stuff, you just royally jack it up every time? Have you ever noticed that? It's like any time, the, the one time that I went on a diet, um, that, I mean, <laughs> listen, I learned my lesson, people. I learned my lesson, all right? You don't do it, right? You understand, all right? The one time I went on a diet, all I saw was food I wasn't supposed to eat. That was it. I mean, some of the stuff I would want to eat, I don't even like, you know? I was like, I don't, I don't even want to eat black licorice, but <laughs> that's the only sugar around me right now, so here we go, you know? <laughs> You know, it, it, so God's not saying focus on these things. He's saying that when we walk according to who Christ is in us, these things are going to be true. It's going to be a lowliness and a humility, a gentleness. And, you know, within a church, let's just, under, let's just get it out of the way. Let's just move the elephant out of the room. You don't agree with everybody in here. Now, I know, I know, shocking news straight to the internet, from my mouth to the internet, that there are people that meet together in a church that don't always agree with one another. But there's a big difference between, being, between having a disagreement and being disagreeable. And see, this is what these words differentiate between these two things. We can d- disagree on things, but we don't have to be disagreeable to another person because of that. Now, there are going to come times at a local church where error creeps in and it's more than just a disagreement. Then you have to say, all right, that's not happening here. We don't allow that. Fortunately, we don't have to deal with that very much here, and it's awesome. Thank you. <laughs> or amen. <laughs> so this is, our, this is a, what Paul is giving us here is a biblical portrait of ourselves right here, how we are to look in interacting with another person. All right, and verses number two, the end of that, In verse number two, the end of verse number two, he says, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity. Now, you know what forbearing in love means? It means that you put up with somebody because you love them. If you are married, you understand that. I don't. It's easy to deal with Angela. I don't ever have to feel like I put up with her. She lives on the other end of putting up with me. On the other end, it's so natural. It just flows through. Everything she does is perfect in every way. We never have any problems. You guys are supposed to help me out here. Y'all are just staring at me. Thank you. Good Lord. Just hang me out to dry. (laughs) It just means that you just have to deal with other people, but you do so in love. And Folks, let me tell you, I know when somebody's not dealing with me in love, they're just putting up with me, and they're not putting up with me in love. Other people know when you're doing the same thing. After a while, you know what that, when we, and why why is this so important? Why is it so important? Because our attitude towards other people puts bricks in a wall. And suddenly in a church, we wall ourselves off from certain people for whatever reason, you know. And so how are spiritual gifts going to operate when we're building little walls brick by brick by brick around us? How are they going to operate? How am I going to be able to minister to Melissa if I'm shutting myself down to Melissa? You know, how is that going to happen? Well, it's not going to. And so that's why Paul points these things out. You say, well, what do they have to do with spiritual gifts? Well, he's getting to that. But he knows that if a person is not open and has a good relationship with others, we're not going to be able to minister to them. What we're going to be doing is damage control. And I tell you what, I pastor a church long enough to know that if you operate with people on the basis of damage control, you're never going to have a relationship with anybody. It's not going to happen. 
Everything, your whole, is, your whole relationship is going to be based on what's wrong all the time. And it's going to be like a constant trial in your head towards another individual. All right, end of speech about that. Uh, recently, just to illustrate, and notice that phrase before I move on. Notice that phrase at the end of verse number two where he says, bearing with one another, verse three, excuse me, endeavoring to keep the unity, endeavoring. You know what? Unity just doesn't, you just don't slip and fall into a puddle of unity, all right? You have to, you, it's intentional. There's, a, there's an intentionality that comes behind unity. Let me give you a good example of this. Um, and I, if, I don't know if this person that I'm about to tell the story is, is here, but I'm not going to use their name to protect the innocent in this scenario. But uh, it, was, it was a great moment, and I was super proud of the person for doing so, and it was a blessing to me individually. Well, this person... Uh, messaged me and said, I need to talk to you about something. And I said, okay, that's fine. Let's talk, you know. Um, so he gave me a call, and we talked for a minute, and he felt like he had said something to me that was inappropriate. I didn't think it was inappropriate. So, I mean, I didn't even register it in my mind. Now, Kyle says inappropriate to me things all the time that I log away, and I wish he would get right with. But nonetheless, this story is not about Kyle. Uh, there's still brokenness there. Um, so this man called me, and he was concerned that he may have overstepped his bounds. And, you know, when I was talking to him on the phone, and he, he called, and he was, I was just impressed with the way the situation was handled. You know why? Because he was concerned about endeavoring. He was going to work to make sure that he kept unity in the bond of peace, is what the Bible tells us here. He put himself in an uncomfortable situation in order to make sure that unity was maintained. He would have rather put himself out than live with the question mark, is there something going on? Now, I'm not saying to be paranoid. I'm not saying that. Sometimes in churches, we're like offense paranoid. You know, we're always walking around afraid we're going to offend somebody. That's not what was happening. What, what he was doing here is he was saying, listen, I would put myself out before I would allow something to break up our fellowship between one another. That's endeavoring to keep the unity. And so after I made him feel guilty for 45 minutes and extorted him emotionally, I forgave him. No, I'm kidding. There was nothing to forgive, so it was great and worked out perfect. Point being here is this, is that we each carry a divinely mandated responsibility to eagerly maintain the unity within a local church. It is not the pastor's job to put out your fires. It's not. Now, that's not saying that Justin isn't more than happy to counsel people through that. I do not want to put words in his mouth. But I am saying this, you guys are big folks. And there's nothing going on that I'm like trying to backhandedly address. So just keep that in mind too, all right? This is preemptive talk, all right? But uh, you are capable, you because you have the Holy Spirit of God, you are capable of keep endeavoring to keep the unity within a body of believers. You're capable of doing it. You, The Holy Spirit within you is able to empower you and to give you wisdom in order to interact with people when these things come up. So let's look at verse number four. Let's move on here. <clears throat> I want you to see not only the, the graces of unity, this idea of humility, uh, lowliness, endeavoring to keep this, the, the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. But in verse number four, I want you to see the grounds in which we're unified. All right, because... In verse number four, he goes on and says this. He's going to use this word. I'm, I'm just going to let you figure it out. The word that he uses a bunch through these verses. All right, you'll see it. 
There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. Did you catch the word? What was the word? One. One. Use seven times for those of us that are into the numerology thing. I don't know if it means anything or not, but I counted it just for you because if it would have been past eight, I wouldn't have been able to count it. My point being here is this, is what is Paul pointing out? Paul is building here, so he tells us that our unity is not some sort of a pie-in-the-sky matter. It's based and founded on truth. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one hope. So what he's doing is he's, he's drawing all this in. He's saying, these are the things that we unite around. This is what we keep unity for. This is, this is our playing field of unity, if you'll, if you'll allow me to say it that way. You know, there, there's a temptation... Or let me just say it this way. I got this quote from somebody else, so we'll blame it on them, okay? He says this. Uh, I believe Warren Wiersbe said this in his commentary. He said, uh, unity built on anything other than biblical truth is something built on shaky ground. And that's very true. Biblical truth is found in the Word of God and in the person of Jesus Christ. It's very easy sometimes for us to cast off anything what the Word of God might say and try to unify outside of that, but things will crumble eventually. Uh, if we're not unifying around the truth, what are we unifying around? If we're not making our unity based on the, the truth of the Word of God and who Jesus Christ is, we're really just, we might as well be a rotary club, you know what I mean? Because there has to be a ground of the truth, uh, the, the faith once delivered to the saints, as Jude put it. So let's move on to these other gifts. I even put a note in here, buddy, if you have time to elaborate on this, you can, but move on, you will take too much time. That's what it says right there. <laughs> I have to remind myself of this stuff in the middle of my notes. So we see the graces of unity. Uh, we see the grounds for unity. And I want you to see the gifts that promote unity. Uh, and this is in verse number seven. I, I, I'm going to read through this again. Uh, in verse seven, it says, But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of, I like this phrase where it says, Christ's gift. So understand that within you, the Holy Spirit of God, that He's abiding and He's living. And understand that that spirit is the spirit of Christ. I think sometimes we kind of separate all that so much so that we don't realize exactly who it is we're engaging with on an internal level. We're engaging with the Spirit of Christ. Uh, if the Spirit of Him that raised Christ from the dead indwells your body, Romans chapter 8 and verse 11 says. So that's who we're dealing with here. And he says, this gift that you have into you was given to you by Jesus Christ. Everything that we have was given to us by Jesus Christ. Uh, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Uh, and we all sit here this morning having had our mouth shut from boasting. We have nothing to brag about when it comes to our standing with God. Uh, if it wasn't for uh, the plan and execution of Jesus Christ and the delivering to us of the gospel, we would uh, be uh, without hope in this current world, is what Paul said over in the book of Ephesians in chapter 2. And so he lists these, these gifts, and we're going to jump down to verse number 11, because <clears throat> I want to go ahead and get into these, because this is going to build into the crux of the message. And it says, And he gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. So, these spiritual gifts, and I wrote a, a quote down from these, these spiritual gifts are God-given abilities to serve God and other Christians in such a way 
that Christ is glorified and the believers are edified. Uh, there is a goal in these spiritual gifts. Now, here's another thing to take into consideration as we move into this. The, Paul is not talking about positions in a church here. He's talking about gifts in a church. There is a huge difference in those two things. If you want to know what the, the positions of leadership are like in a church, the best epistles to read are 1st, 2nd Timothy and Titus, and you'll see those clearly laid out what they are. Uh, Justin and I were talking about this last night, uh, just kind of bouncing and batting some things back and forth about this whole business uh, of these, of what some people refer to as the fourfold ministry. Uh, and to be quite honest with you, I don't know a whole lot about that. I don't. Uh, is it five? It's five. I don't know. What's the fifth one? Am I missing one? And what do we got here? Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors. Oh, yeah, five. Sorry. <laughs> I went to Bible school. And uh, told you math is hard. Now, if you went to public school, don't take offense at that because I know you can't count either, so it's fine. <laughs> so we see the origination of these gifts where they come from Christ, and we're going to examine them just a little bit. Now, the word apostle, we get to this one, and boy, everybody starts freaking out. You know what I mean? Like I said, again, we're not looking to ascribe to people positions. We're looking to identify gifts, all right? So that is, that's huge. Because just imagine, if we look at these in the sense as they're positionary, what uh, we, Justin and I were talking about that, how is that going to work with us at the end of the day? The word apostle, I'm gonna, let me explain it this way before I get into it. The word apostle, in its very basic sense in the Greek language, just means one that is sent out. That's what it means, a sent out one or a sent one. Uh, we have the original 12 uh, apostles that were sent out with the particular mission to give eyewitness testimony to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. All right? There are other places within Scripture where people are loosely uh, referred to in an apostolic, apostolic, and they're loosely referred to as apostles. And uh, <laughs> if you ever bump the needle on a record, that's what just happened. <laughs> and it's like Angela said, she made up a word the other day, and I said, is that a word? She goes, you make them up all the time when you preach. <laughs> I was like, you're right, I do. <laughs> I told her the difference is I just ascribe some kind of theological meaning to them, and then they're profound, you know. Uh, so there's a lot of debate about the functionality and the position uh, like this one. And I'm not in, up here this morning to get into the debate about what we think it might be. I do want to get and make comments about what we know it is. We do know this that there are people that are sent out itinerantly to preach the gospel, establish churches, and shepherd those churches till they grow. Now, we know that. We use words like missionary, and Justin and I were talking about it. You know, there is no word in the New Testament called missionary. And a lot of the ways, someone that has the gift of an apostle is doing a, is a, is doing a missionary-type work. We also use the word church planner in our churches, don't we? Not used in the New Testament at all. Uh, so it's like the more and more I get into these things, the more I want to draw myself back and say, let me use words that the Bible uses. You know, if we have to redefine the culture of our vocabulary in order to be biblical, I'm good with that. I'm even good with it if it's for me. I, I want to rearrange my vocabulary so when we say certain things, we're all meaning the same thing, right? So there's those with the gift of an apostle, establishing, guiding churches, more of a missionary type thing in this scenario. Then we have prophets, and this is another multifaceted uh, term concerning, uh, at the very least, the forth telling of the word of God. 
All right? That's why sometimes you will hear somebody, raise your hand if you've ever heard this in church, and I hope that a lot, okay, thank you. You're right. You've heard just about anything there is to hear at church, haven't you? (laughs) Hopefully you've heard this before. You've ever heard somebody speak, and they say, man, that that guy has like, a prophetic touch to him. You've heard something like that in church before? Please raise your hand. Don't leave me hanging. All right, thank you. Good. All right. <laughs> now, isn't it interesting that we only we tend to use that type of a term when it's somebody speaking and they're speaking from and about the Word of God? It's interesting that we use that terminology then, right? A lot of the time, if we're not careful, we'll look at this term prophecy like somebody's rubbing a crystal ball trying to tell you your future like there's some kind of Christian Madam Cleo, and that's not, what, that, well, that's not what's going on here. What we're talking about here is someone that is disseminating and foretelling the Word of God. And then we get down to pastors and teachers. I don't think there needs to be a ton of discussion about these gifts in that area. I personally take the position that these two work in tandem. They, kind of, they're, they're, they go together. Paul even said concerning elders and bishops over in 1st, 2nd Timothy and Titus, he said that they have to be apt to teach. Um, when we look at the New Testament as a whole, you really don't see a position called pastor. What you see is a a position called bishop, and you see a position called elder, and you see a position called deacon within the church, but you don't see pastor. That's because pastor is a gift. A person can have the gift of pastoring but not do this, you see. They can have that gift of leading someone along and shepherding people. Have you ever known somebody that was not a pastor, but they just seem to just, just get close to people and shepherd them and help them go in the right direction? That's what this is. And what's so, what I love about looking at this idea in that way is it opens us up to understand that, wait a minute, I don't have to be able to write a sermon outline and talk for 45 minutes before I can come along somebody and shepherd them and help them grow, you know. And isn't it interesting that we only think of these things in terms of this? Isn't that interesting? I mean, do you really have to shepherd somebody standing next to, I was going to say pulpit, but a round table that's slightly wobbly? Do you have to, is that the only place that you can shepherd somebody? The only place that you can instruct and teach is, you know, everybody sitting in a chair in front of you? Now, there's times for that, but is that it? Well, of course we know the answer is, of course not. These are gifts that God has placed throughout the body of Christ, and I would even say the, the body of Christ visibly and locally. You know, like us. We can talk about the church in this very broad sense, like the church universal, so to speak, which is actually what the word Catholic means. That's why they, get, they use that word. This church universal, and certainly that's true, the body of Christ as a whole, but the body of Christ as a whole, we're not meeting every Sunday. There's some people in the body of Christ I've never met. I don't know who they are. And yet within that visible, this visible body, I personally believe God grants gifts. And why does he do it? Does he do it because... He needs people to be in positions so they can, you know, make sure everybody stays straightened out. Well, no. The Bible tells us right here in verse number 13 or verse number 12. What do these gifts do? When these gifts are functioning as God intended, these next set of verses are going to be a reality in a church. We, if we try to plug anything else called effectiveness behind these gifts other than this, we're circumventing what God had planned because we like a structure more than we like Scripture. And so what he's saying here is he says, what do these gifts do for us? He says, therefore, the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. Let me ask you a question this morning. Who does the work of the ministry? Oh, really? 
Not really. Who really does the work? Who, well, who do we tend to think, though? Whoever we pay to do it, right? You know, any kind of staff-oriented thing. Now, here, here I go. You're like, you're just trying to make me feel guilty because I don't clean the bathrooms enough or I don't watch, you know, I don't do children's church or, you know, I don't mow the grass. No, I'm not. My point being is this, is that everybody has their place. Now, I want you to think about this. There are things that you're gifted to do that your pastor cannot do. He, he, he just, he could probably stumble, he can, he can make his way through it. Justin, I believe you can stumble your way through it graciously and make the train wreck look like you did it on purpose. But, <laughs> you know, but there's things you can do that just, you're, there's things that you're good at that God, not even good like in an ability sense, but God has gifted you for that are foreign to me, that are unnatural to me to enter into. And so this is why Paul's saying this. Paul's saying, listen, there, here's a group of people that are there to do nothing else but to help you come into the fullness of the gift that God's given you. That is it. They have no motive outside of that. I know I don't personally. For the work of the ministry, for the edifying or the building up. Remember, uh, Justin's been talking about this. The edifying or the building. There's structure here. That's why we say around here, we don't say structure begets life. We say life calls for structure. When things grow, when God builds, he builds. It's not like this chaotic, like he picks up a five-gallon bucket and throws it on the floor and says, there's church. You know, no, that's not the way that it goes. There's, there is a structuring of people, not a hierarchy, but a structuring based on their gifts. You know, not like I remember when I, was, I worked for the post office uh, years ago. <clears throat> they were... Let's just say there was an outside entity that was very influential on the way that they did their business, which is called a union. They were very unionized, all right, super unionized. And I'm, this is not a speech about unions, so let's move on from that. But nonetheless, in that particular area, it was very, very thick. And I remember going up to Provo to do some training, uh, boxing mail, just putting papers in holes in the wall. It was tough work, folks. And so, <laughs> actually, it kind of was sometimes. Anyways, when you went up there, in the back room, there were these yellow lines everywhere. There was a yellow line, and then there was like an orange line and a red one, and in the back there were like these green lines. Those lines, the yellow lines, if I remember correctly, were for uh, the clerks, which is what I was. I could work within that yellow line. I remember pushing, there was a, a, a crate of mail in my way, and I pushed it over into the red area. No, no, nobody. Push it over to the red area, which is where they sorted the packages, and this person just descended from the ceiling. I don't know where they came from. They just came out of nowhere there and like, you can't do that. You're taking our hours. And I'm like, taking your hours? Well, I'm doing your jobs, what I'm doing, because you're not doing it anyways. So, and then you got back in the green area where everything was loaded. And if you weren't receiving or loading or anything back there, you could not go back there. If you walked past that line, somebody was going to say something to you. That is not what I'm talking about when I talk about structure. All right? That is insane. And God, see, here's the thing. God is big enough to structure his church even if we don't understand everything about that. He's big enough to do that. When life is happening, things naturally fall into place. It doesn't have to be a struggle to get them into place. Verse number 13, so we see that there is the, the building up, the equipping, the edifying of the saints. In verse 13, he says, until we all come. Now, this is a great verse, though it is wordy. Though we all come to the unity of the faith 
and the knowledge of the Son of God, perfect man, to the measure of the statue of the fullness of Christ. What is he saying? He's saying that all these spiritual gifts do one thing. They take people and they point them right over who Jesus Christ is. They are, they, they are ministering to people in order that they might grow in their knowledge and their unity of the Son of God. You know, when you have a gift like that, you don't have to put your, you don't have to put your gift name necessarily on a sign somewhere for everybody to see it. You don't have to do that. When you see that type of stuff going on in a church setting, what you're seeing is someone portraying their authority, not somebody that's interested in exercising their gifts. You know, because when you're exercising a gift, you're not real concerned if you get the recognition for it. Yes, sir, Mr. Andrew, Dr. Mr. Andrew? No, it's professor. No. Oh, sorry. I can't keep um, up with your education level. I don't have one. <laughs> um, verse 7 talks about grace given to us according to the measure of Christ's gifts. And just looking at these verses, verse 12, talking about uh, for the equipping of the saints for the, uh, to the building up of the body of Christ. I see two parallel streams there, which mm -hmm. are obvious, and you wouldn't neglect that if I gave you, gave you time to it. But there's a lot of people that we have in our sphere of life and relationship, people that, that, that visit our home, people that we contact, that, that these gifts, that there's a measure of some of that in all mm -hmm. of us. Like, for example, if there's a, a friend of ours at work, that they were developing relationship with, there's a, there can be a measure of, of a pastoral or a mentoring or yeah. a discipling kind of aspect of that. So those gifts, like in the stronger church context, there can be certainly a, a bigger uh, focus of that gift. But each of us, uh, you know, there, it's, there's a centralized thing that we have here, and there's also a decentralized uh, measure that, that God yeah. can bless us with as we have people right. that need mentoring and growing right. and that kind of thing. Well, and I think that's a good thing to point yeah, out, too. It builds up the body. Right. I mean, it's, it's good that you pointed it that way, too, because you don't want to think of gifts, uh, spiritual gifts as static in the sense that, like, boom, you got yours, you're done for the rest of your life type of a thing. Uh, there is that measuredness that comes with it from Christ. So I don't want to give the idea, and if I have, I apologize, that God's like, all right, like, like you're like some kind of spiritual, like, bubblegum machine. He slides in, you know, the apostle quarter and the, you know, healing quarter, and he slides in, you know, maybe a teaching quarter. You know what I mean? And he turns the knob, and boom, there you are. I, hopefully I'm not giving that idea at all. Um, but it is important to note that you're absolutely right, that there is a measure given in these gifts, and that's according to Christ. He's the only one that, you and him are going to be the only ones that know what that is, you know. And so these are for our edification, they're for our, uh, they're for our equipping, they're also for us to know who Jesus Christ is. And in verse number 14, I'm trying to wrap this up here real quick. In verse number 14, another reason that these are given to us is that we, uh, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and their cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. And boy, that's, that's pretty bad. If you look at somebody and say, you're a tricky guy with a cunning, you know, what does it say? <laughs> a cunning craftiness and a deceitful plot. I mean, that's pretty rough, you know, that's a pretty rough accusation, you know. Now, what, what does he say? He's saying that there are people that God has put around your life in order to stabilize you. Not that you trust in them. You don't trust in them. They're there to, to pour into you spiritually so you can stabilize. I remember when I, when I first became a believer, I mean, everything was open game for me. You know what I mean? I was like, I'm so glad 
that in 1998, I didn't have that much access to the internet, is all I have to say. And I'll tell you, one of the biggest problems that make us struggle in our belief, system is, belief systems as Christians is the stuff we get thrown at us via the internet. If you, you just Google any odd thing, and you're going to find a complete YouTube channel given to it. Trust me, I've tried, all right? Don't challenge me. Uh, you know, and we're just constantly bombarded. I mean, how many, how many people listen to one podcast this week, at least one? Who listened to five? Who listened to at least ten of them? No, all right. So if we've got somewhere between one and five podcasts you listen to. I'm not saying any of those things are wrong. I like to listen to them all the time. I think they're great. They're, they're very interesting to me. If it's the serial killer thing, you know where I'm at on that. All the way over to what's going on with you know, a pastor. I want to listen to what a pastor has to say. My point being is this. The Holy Spirit of God's work in your life is going to be to stabilize you in the person of Jesus Christ. He's not wanting to stabilize you in the philosophy of a ministry. He wants to stabilize you in the person of Jesus Christ. God is not interested in making you a hardcore non-denominationalist. He's interested in establishing you in Christ. He's not interested in establishing you as an anti-legalist. He's interested in stabilizing you in the person of Jesus Christ. That's the goal of the Spirit, is to always bring us back to the person of Jesus Christ. Now, why? In verse 15, this truth that they speak, they speak the truth in love. Somebody has said that uh, truth without love is brutality, but love without truth is hypocrisy. You know, when we just kind of speak nice flowery words to people without involving the truth at times. He says that he, we speak the truth in love that they may grow up in all things into him who is the head, which is Christ. In verse uh, number 16, from whom the whole, now get this, from whom the whole body is joined and knitted together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share. And when every part does its share within a local body, what is the result? Causes growth of the body and the edifying of itself. So we don't have to reach outside of Jesus to get what we need. Because Christ is ministering through you to another person to build that person up in who Christ is. It is it's cyclical because of the outside influence of who Christ is. The gifts of the Spirit uh, that we have been given are given to unite us, to mature us, to stabilize us in the person of Christ. If we're looking to ground ourselves in any other thing, uh, we're missing the point of what God's doing through the, the person of the Holy Spirit inside of us. Uh, if we're seeking to be grounded in anything other than, like, you know, if we're seeking to be grounded in some other of our works in order to gain some sort of righteousness, we're off. Uh, I bring this up every sermon for this reason, that we always want to make sure we take a moment to, to let other people know that just what Jesus Christ has done for them. Jesus has said that I am the way, the truth, and the life, and that no man comes unto the Father but by me. Uh, Peter himself said, other than the name of Jesus Christ, there is no salvation. The exclusive claim of Christianity is not that God can make you better and better and better, but that he can transform who you were into something different because of who Jesus Christ is. And the problem we have with that is our sin. 
Our sin separates us from God. And without having our sin forgiven and taken away, we cannot know what it means to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Uh, if uh, that's something that hey, you have a question mark about in your life, we want to help you with that at the end of the service. If you need to talk with me or someone that you're more comfortable with, I pray that you'll do so. And hopefully that today we've seen that the work of the Spirit and these different gifts are to bring us together in unity and to bring us together in maturity. So let's have a word of prayer, shall we? Uh, Father, uh, thank you so much uh, for being good to us. Thank you for providing for our needs. Um, Lord, we think we know what we need. We think that we can bring a list to you and say, Lord, please supply me X, Y, and Z spiritually. Uh, But I'm thankful that before the foundations of the world, before one human took their breath, you knew exactly what it is that we needed, and you provided it for us in the person of Jesus Christ. So thank you for your, your love, your care, concern. Thank you for your ability to plan and provide. In Jesus' name, amen.